With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome to the latest episode in the Walls Fancast series, Stories from the Pack. Um, just before we get going on today's episode, um, just really a big thank you to everybody who continues to listen to the Fancast, uh, be it this series, Stories from the Pack, be it our regular um, series, which is now recorded after each game, and all the spin-offs uh, that we do and everything you, you do to help support us. We really do appreciate it. Um, someone who has been involved um, with the fancast as well um, is joining me today, um, but on a, an audio meet, and we're, we're meeting virtually for the first time. But has contributed some articles to the fancast, and as, as a result of an article he penned recently um, around stories from the pack, I thought it was a great opportunity to get this next gentleman on to uh, verbalise that story and uh, and share with everybody today. Uh, and that is Ed Marshall. Ed, how you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Good, good. So me and Ed were just having a very brief chat just before record. So Ed, just, this, it's been a mad year for, for us all in so many reasons. Um, at time of recording, uh, there's localised lockdowns and there didn't seem any less up. How, how's lockdown been and, and, and sort of this year for yourself? Uh, I think, do you know what? I think for the most part, it's been really good. Um, I live now in Worcester, so I've moved out of sort of the black country area where I grew up. Uh, but I work in Birmingham, so mm. travelling up the M5 and down the M5 every day, um, it's nice not to do that. My commute's like two yards from the dining room to the kitchen now, so, uh, <laughs> or dining room to the living room, so it's a lot, lot shorter. Um, and me and the wife both work, so we, it's probably the most extended period of time that I've had with the wife and my little boy, my five-year-old. Um, so... But it also has been hard. My mum and dad still live in the black country and they're, at the minute they're in the local lockdown. So we haven't really seen them properly for ages. And yeah, So it's been good and bad. It's been good probably for us three. But then when you go outwards, it's been a bit harder. But yeah, quite lucky that I've got a job that I can do from home and all that kind of stuff. So I think I'm one of the lucky ones, really. Brilliant. But I think, you know, everybody has their own, you know, individual... I guess story to tell and, and, and one that we know we'll, we'll be telling in years to come and I think we're respectful and we're cautious about how difficult it's been for people but we also have to realise that there are opportunities and some for someone like yourself you mentioned you know you've got a young family similar to myself then you know you do get that time which you probably wouldn't have been afforded yeah. you know without the situation as well so I mean it's also knackering yeah, <laughs> I've been way grumpier than probably ever. Although the wife might say something different, but 
so it's been full on. But yeah, it has been good. But yeah, I think it's it's yeah. I, I think history at uni, and it's weird to be part of history right now. It really feels like mm. this is something that our kids will will talk about, and our grandkids will ask about, and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's weird to like. And obviously, we're always in history because it's just time. But like, this is a really weird point where there's clearly something strange going on that we're now part of. Absolutely. Well, we hope everybody listening is is safe and well, and we hope in these difficult times as well. Really, this series started, you know, uh, at the start of lockdown, and one of the reasons for that was football was on pause, and it gave me an opportunity to um, really do something a little bit different. So, um, with that, you mentioned your parents, Ed, and and you briefed me, um, as I say, in the written piece. Um, That, I guess, is where your your story war started, didn't it? And was there a case that it, that could have been a different path you went down with your your yeah. supporting life? So tell yeah. us a little bit about your wall story and, and how that started started and, and how that came about with your family. So uh, yeah, there's a fork in the road in my family. So one side's golden black and the other side is blue and white stripes. <laughs> so my dad is um is an Albion fan and my mum is a Wolves fan and uh, yeah, it was just which side which side do I pick or which side picked me, I think, which is probably more like it. Um, closer to my mum's side growing up, so that kind of felt natural that it would go that way. And um, my dad, unlike me, because I'm forcing it down my little boy's throat that he has to be a Wolves fan. My dad didn't do that with me. <laughs> he just let me decide. So, I, um, yeah, I think it was just, yeah, I think I, it could have easily gone one or the other, one or the other. But, um, yeah, really, really chuffed that I went. The golden black route, I can't imagine going the other route. It makes me shudder a little bit thinking about it. <laughs> but that's not that's not uncommon though, is it? You know, as you say, no. originally from the black country and, and I think um, for all the banter and everything that, that goes with it, you know, workplaces and so forth, that's not uncommon to have that, you know, in, in, in a family. I mean, my wife, for example, so her family's all from Halzoing, which is pretty big Albion territory. And, yeah, and, yeah. And her, her late dad, God bless his soul, um, was an Albion fan and so forth. And I think, although this is heavy walls, um, I think, you know, when I speak to people about what we talk about, everybody has an, uh, an affection for their football club and their story. And it just so happens, as you say, that yours was walls. So um, we'll go on to a moment in terms of some of the games that stand out. But could you talk us through sort of your, your first memories of Molyneux and perhaps where you sat and what was your first experience of <laughs> yeah. the ground? Yeah, my first memory, um, I think it was mentioned on one of the other guys. I think we might have gone to the same game. So the Bristol City game, mm. opening, opening game in 1993. Can't remember which guy it was that was chatting about it, but... Yes, no, that rings yeah. a bell. Yeah, um, I, I got my first shirt then as well. Um, and talking about school and banter being ginger like I am <laughs> having a bright orange or old gold shirt um, yeah there was some oh, you only support them because your hair colours the same because you know eight year olds are really really funny um, <laughs> so yeah my first game was Bristol City at home sat in the Giant Island um, as it was then and we won 3-1 I think Bully got a couple and that's just what I thought football games were like we turned up the iconic bloke would score two goals or do three and do his airplane hat trick uh, celebration. And we cracked on, we went on. Um, I think you've talked about it in the series. There's something amazing about the Molyneux. 
Mm. And and I I say that knowing that the biases are going to be there. But you go from like, I I don't live near Wolverhampton. You know, where you have to get the train or the bus um, down the Birmingham, Wolverhampton New Road or the way into Wolves. But getting off, going under that subway, it's both the best place to be after a win and the worst place to be after a loss when everyone's so mad or everyone's so happy and it just echoes. And then you've got that city centre feel and it, it felt it felt big, it felt special. It's not like an identical ground and it's just, I mean, it even looks strange, doesn't it? Not, nothing looks the same. Every stand's different. And I, it just, it had me straight away, that first game. First game at the Molyneux. Anyway, it was just a yeah, mind-blown kind of moment of like, this is special. This is, yeah, I'm glad I picked this one. Yeah, and, and you're right, and we have touched on it. And, and yeah, as, as, a, as you know, you rightly say, we've, we've talked about it before, but it, it's worth talking about it again because it, it is special. Um, and I think particularly it's pertinent now when, you know, we're not going to the games even more, so it, it has an even deeper focus. And I probably am guilty of being a little bit nostalgic and that's kind of how I live a lot of my life. Yeah. And, and sometimes I look back at certain things and I go, was it really that good or is the idea that it was that good more deeper? But I, I do actually think with the Wolves connection, I think it really is strong. Um, I know um, when, when um, you put together your article, you talked about the fact that perhaps in recent years, you know, your circumstances dictated that you weren't mm-hmm. going, but um, that first Buzz and and I was been the same, you know. There's been financial and, and personal stuff that I've been away from from the team. But even when I I've passed it, it's just there. And I think yeah, I, there's a, there's a mate of mine who's kind of gets frustrated the fact that the ground looks a little bit odd. But I think that has its charm to no, it, it as well because each stand has the sort of yeah. <laughs> it does. Uh, yeah. So my my in-laws they live in Wolverhampton, so. There's always a nice bonus to going to visit them and we'll pass the ground because they live in Bushbury. So we have to go past it. So it's nice. You just look over, see the strange stands, see the stands that don't fit with the one next to it. But it, it means something to you because I've sat in all four of those stands um, or stood in the South Bank, which is where I have a season ticket. And yeah, it just, just going past it, you have that that rush that I think I did on that first game, you know, um, yeah, it is special, and I think I think it's okay to be nostalgic because at the minute we can't even go to the ground even if we wanted to. So it's probably the best time now. It's the best time to to put our uh, gold tinted glasses on. Uh, absolutely, Ed, and I think you know we're um, yeah we're we're hoping we can get back when, when we can. But but um, I, I think what's what's unique for somebody of your era and and mine I guess is very similar and and people listening is is sort of the roller coaster and I think your first introduction so that it was Bristol it was Bristol City and then you had you talk we talked about the Albion and they've played a bit of a part in your support in life and and I think unfortunately we've we've more often not been on the receiving end um and and hopefully that'll change soon but talk to me about your first experience going to watch the walls at the Albion and, and how that was yeah, so I, I went to, and I can't remember exactly, and I've never looked it up deliberately because I wanted this to be how I remember it. Mm. I was four or five, and I'm in the Albion end, 
standing because obviously it was like 89 or 1990 I can't remember and I'm standing there in between my mum and dad I can't see a thing and Bully pops up and either scores the winner or equaliser but whatever happened the walls end went mental and everyone in the Albion end even my mum who's an avid Wolves fan was pretending that she was not happy the fact that Bully's just done whatever he's done and I remember being so angry at her because I didn't get why I didn't understand the rivalry. I didn't understand why everyone was so angry. And so, yeah, my first memory of football is going to the Albion in the Albion end, watching Wolves either win or draw and bully <laughs> scores. And yeah, even then, by that point, I'd clearly picked my team, even though I was, what, four or five. So, yeah, I was, I was in the, the Albion end for a, for a bully winner or a bully equaliser right at the end. And I was, yeah, couldn't see a thing. And that my overriding memory is how angry I was at my mum. <laughs> <laughs> because I suppose, like you say, at, at that age, it's kind of just a game and you don't know the yeah. the darker side, shall, shall, shall we say. Um, I've, 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 I think, I know you said you haven't looked it up, I've, and I was just having a, having a look while you were chatting there, Ed, and it, it's got potentials of being October 89. and I'll be It was definitely cold. <laughs> which if if i remember um i've seen it on social media and there, there is an iconic shot with um with bully going to the walls end which would, i guess would have been opposite to yourself and yeah. say the, the 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 crowd going absolutely crazy um oh and i don't know about you i'm just thinking of it now it's that this social distancing age i'm just thinking yeah. oh yeah it's <laughs> no no um yeah all like i say I remember moaning all the way through because my legs were hurting because I was standing up. And I just, yeah, you are so close. And now mm. when you think about it and you have to be two metres away from someone in Tesco, it's probably mental to think about what it's actually like then. What, what, what were your, I guess, or who were your, your favourite players sort of um, in, in those early days, sort of the, the early 90s and so forth? You mentioned Bully and by all means pick up yeah. but any, anyone else that sort of stood out? But yeah, I, I guess probably the early 90s, it probably would have just been Bully, being that age, kind of the number nine scoring all the goals. It would have been, but sort of moving on, sort of the mid 90s when I started to go a bit more, I always, like Neil Emblem was a big one for me. Oh, yeah. Because cause he wasn't very good, but he played everywhere. He turned up every week, and that's the kind of player I like. I think it's a bit of a football hipster, and I think I was even at a younger age. Kind of like the bloke who played up front and right back and centre back and centre midfield. And, you know, obviously he's a better football than I'll ever be, but, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't great at shakes. But, like, he was just, I think he, he embodied kind of walls for me, kind of like that combative player that I don't know where we got him from. I don't know where he went afterwards. I know now he's in America, but he kind of just was in that lovely, sweet spot of my memory of someone like Neil Emblem. And it's kind of a, yeah. Tomo as well, banging in the penalties. I always think how many more goals would Bully have scored if Tomo hadn't taken the penalties? <laughs> yeah. It would have been closer to 400 probably. But um, yeah, so I think, I think yeah, like good hardworking players for me has always been the one. And like Neil Emblem, Kevin Muscat. I mean, I think I was at that game when he elbowed that bloke and almost killed him. And, yeah. Uh, but uh, for some reason, you think that's okay on the football pitch? 
<laughs> someone did it outside, you wouldn't bat an eye. You know, you'd, think you'd go mental and wonder what was going on. But uh, yeah, there was. He got sent off for GBH on someone one week, and it was. I remember being like, "That's not a foul." I imagine him with VAR now, he probably wouldn't become a professional. <laughs> and I think I think I've seen him on the touchline now because I think in recent years he's been managing in Australia as well, and it's still as crazy. And I yeah. think he's been in trouble with their authorities. But yeah, Neil, Neil Emblem. I remember Neil Emblem um, as many will, and as you say, is that utility player playing in every position, mm. um, a full back up front. And I think we re-signed him. He went to Palace and then I think we re-signed him again. I remember when he went, I think it might have been part of Jamie Smith-Dill. Someone will correct us and that's fine. Because um, <laughs> we, we, we're kind of reminiscing. Um, and yeah, but, but but as a player, was just a hell of a player. He was he, mm. he was a core hero. And, and I think we did a piece on him before that because he was sort of that player who... I don't know, and again, it's been nostalgic with players more relatable then. But you like you say, you know, knowing that perhaps he... You know, we, we haven't got the talent of a, a keen, but Emblem just kind of seen like a bit of a working class hero, I yeah. suppose. Um, yeah, yeah, blue blue collar, as they say in American sports, isn't yeah. it? The blue probably turned up in his sandwiches in a tin foil, you know, that his <laughs> wife had made him, and like he just went and played football. So I think that's yeah, players like him, I've always had a, a real soft spot for, and I think, like you say, Wolves in for our area era sort of the up and down we've had, we've had a lot more of them than we have Neves's and Martinez, haven't we? So I think yeah. it's it's easier to hang our hats on those types of players and go, what have we got now? But yeah, it's I think it's good to look back and know that we've had players like Emblem, Steve Sedgley, all these kind of journeymen that that did a job when we needed them. I think you're right and there's, there's a time and place and I, I was just thinking there, if in 10, 15 years' time or 20 years' time, someone will be having this same conversation about Bettini. Yeah, maybe they will. <laughs> and, and you know, but because, yeah, it's difficult when you're in the moment. And we know, and we'll, we'll perhaps, before we close the episode, we're, we're not there yet, but in terms of we'll perhaps circle back to the, to the current um, because it, it has to be talked about because of how bloody good it is. But, mm. yeah, um, when you are in the current, I think there is a case for probably not, quite appreciating it as much as as, um, as you do because you, you're living it and you're living through it mm-hmm. um, and that's why we we talk about those games so um, memorable games um, I think Newcastle you, you mentioned to me um, the cup yeah. game was it was a key one for yourself as well yeah so that was the it was on TV um, it was I didn't have a season ticket that season we went up but I'm pretty sure I went to nearly every home game Mm. So I um we I went to that and it was freezing cold and being what seventeen or eighteen I just thought all I needed was my wolf's top and my jeans and we had everything in that game and we also had like probably my two favourite players of all time so Matt Murray and Lescott and they were amazing in that game and that was kind of the the turning point for us in that season because that was the promotion season wasn't it and. Something special happened that game. You know, there was Jody Lescott blocked a shot off the line, then Matt Murray cleared it. Matt Murray set up two of the goals with long throws. We had Ince banging a goal. We kind of had everything. And I think probably, and I said in my article, without stuff to jump around at, I probably would have died of hypothermia because I was that cold. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was a special one. And obviously, it's on Sky. Like It's not like football now, obviously, when every game's on TV. 
So that felt special as well, like the TV cameras were there. I'm in the South Bank. I'm shouting along, singing along, that kind of stuff. And it's, um, yeah, it, it, it resonates. And that was kind of, we brought Irwin and Ince to do all, to do exactly what they were starting to do, which was get us to win games. And yeah, we, that game went off, went off with, to a fly, didn't then Shearer got a penalty and, and died just after half-time, I think it was. And yeah, it was just a ridiculous game and everything went well. And then also started my complete hatred of Bellum at the end of it because pointing at the Premier League badge for some really strange, bitter reason. Um, <laughs> it was very interesting the why it really upset him that much, I don't know. That was like the turning point for that whole season and that leads to, you know, to the game at Cardiff and all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, that was, that was a special one for me because it was just sort of, um, yeah, it was around my birthday. It was just an amazing game. And, it, and it's, in that, again, that sweet spot of my age, you know, I'm 17, 18. I've got nothing else going on in my life. So, Wolves was everything. And to be that good that season when I could go all the time, it was just, yeah, perfect almost. That, that's the thing, isn't it, really? And, and and it's an interesting point you make and it's something which has kind of been touched on in terms of, you know, when you're kind of at your most invested at a football club and, and perhaps before responsibilities and, and kids and so forth come along where you, your time is a little bit stretched and, you, you know, you're 17, 18 and you're thinking, and this is why... You know, at the moment, for people who are season ticket holders, I really feel for them because mm-hmm. they will get that, that time back. But, yeah, you, you, you know, you even if the football's not, not so good, you're still there and you're still spending that time. And, and you know, I can kind of put balls in a little bit of a box and I love it and I wouldn't be talking to you if I didn't because I do. I absolutely love the club and I'm sure that comes through as you do as well. Um, but... I can kind of put it in a bit of perspective, but there, you know, there are points in our lives where football is the the yeah. you know everything, and it consumes us. Um, yeah. And I think, like you say, as a seventeen, eighteen year old, if you're on the terraces or in, in those stands and you're kind of freezing your nuts off, it, it just it doesn't matter, does it? Because you you're no. in that moment, you're caught up. Uh, everything, everything, especially that sort of that season. It was just before I went to university, but. Pretty much every bit of money I had went into the walls. I mean, I, I was even subscribed to, do you remember those text message services you got when mm. it said walls had scored and it cost you like 25p or something? I do. So I do. all of my yeah. credit was going on uh, back then because contracts were like something rich people had. Was <laughs> I was at a game and it would say so-and-so scored. I'm like, I know I've just watched it, but I'm still getting this text message to tell me. <laughs> it's costing me money to watch it twice, but yeah. So yeah, you're right. It's just it's it was at that just that perfect time when you can just everything go into it. And then to, we, we we've got to talk about it. I know it's talked about a lot, but your your Cardiff experiences. You, you you briefly touched on that. Tell us about that. How was your sort of build up to the day, and and what do you remember? Well, the build up to the day was I didn't get a ticket to start off with. Mm. I um I queued up um took the day off work. I used to work at Asda then stacking the shelves in the butchery department. Um, and it was the Saturday night. I used to work two till 10 on Saturdays, which meant that I could go to midweek games or games that have been moved for TV. And I had a phone call and you couldn't, mobiles, you weren't allowed on the shop floor then. And I had a phone call to our like, butchery department and it was my mum saying, Jez Moxie's on the phone. Wow. I told her, get lost. No, he's not. And what I didn't know is she'd sent an email or a letter you know, 
being my mum, she's so meticulous. She pointed out all the games that I'd been to and that she'd been to with me. And it was unfair that we didn't get a ticket. And he phoned up and said, how many do you need? We've got X amount. Wow. And I was, I was, no, it's not him. And like, eventually I believed it was. And I think I just talked to my credit card details over the phone. The credit card that I was given for emergencies, that was an emergency. Yes. <laughs> so we bought four tickets um, there and then on that Saturday night at like four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon. So as, say what you want about Jez Moxie. I love him still for that. So, yeah. That's, that, that's incredible. Before you talk about the, the game and, and so forth, that is, that is amazing. <laughs> I'm just imagining that call and it's going through to the department. Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah, we've got a Jez Moxie on. <laughs> On the line, it's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I, don't, I'm not, I don't need this right yeah. now. Uh, no, I'm already disappointed I didn't get tickets and I lined up for them. So that wind me up. And then when yeah. my mum told my mum kind of convinced me that it was true. But yeah, so it, yeah, it covered a lot of covered a lot of Jesse's cracks that did for the rest of the time that he was with us because I'll always still remember that he gave me my ticket to Cardiff. So. He was, he was in credit massively then yes. for you, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it would have taken more than a pint of pint for me to not like him. <laughs> well, see, see I, I don't know. Oh, God, it's a whole different podcast on, on, on Moxie. <laughs> I, I liked Moxie, in fairness, because I kind of felt as if, yes, his sort of persona was sort of a very slick guy, very sort of articulate and... and he was less of a PR guy in one sense than, than obviously, you know, one of the leading goal scorers of the club in John Richards and then mm. people like Laurie. And so I'm not saying, how can I put this? Um, he had foes behind him at that time and he could give tickets out in the hogshead and so forth. And there were probably yeah. times in Jez's tenure where he'd love to do so many of those things. Yeah, no. No. It was a, it's a very, he, he was, it's a very functional period of our lives, wasn't it, as, as Wolves fans? Mm. You know, we had the Mick McCarthy years when he was dragging misfits from, you know, Michael McIndoe and everyone else and buying Kitely and for next to no money and Jarvis from Gillingham. So it was a very functional time, wasn't it? And I think it's very different now. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't want to do that job personally. But, yeah, like I say, he got me to Cardiff. So I'll always have that. Brilliant. And, and then Cardiff, I mean, what can you say about the game, mate? I, I, you know... No, I remember being told to sit down by the blokes behind me because I think I was in a slightly nicer section than I was used to. And I was too nervous to sit down. And then someone grabbed my shoulders and said, any chance, mate? And I was like, oh, sorry. I'm just used to standing up. So I sat down and then, yeah, we got that first goal. And one of my overriding memories is at half time, the same bloke, and he was just like, we'll mess it up. We'll mess it up, it's Wolves. <laughs> and I was like, but it's 3-0. And he's like, no, no, we'll still mess it up. And then when the penalty happened, I got the tap on the shoulder, told you. And mm. I was like, but being a Matt Murray stan, an absolute fanboy of Matt Murray, I was like, it'll be fine. Probably the only time I've ever given my opinion on a penalty. And I was like, it's, nah, Matt Murray, it's fine. Murray will find it. It's not an issue. He did. And it, yeah, the rest of the game, it probably wasn't even a good game of football, I don't think. When I'm trying to think of good passages of football, I can't think of many, but I don't care. I just wanted us to win and we got there and it was, yeah, just, I remember the stadium at the end when it was moving, mm. we got told to leave and it was just, yeah, you know, you've outstayed your welcome now. No one was willing to go. 
and we drove down as well and um we had some dodgy cars back then and this car was crunching on every time we were braking there was some <laughs> noise some noise was coming out of the car and we were like i don't even know if we're gonna get home but we didn't care it, it, i think we kind of just got there on willpower and just sheer joy i think yeah it was an unbelievable game unbelievable moment and yeah, it's also the same day as my wedding anniversary, which means that I've got two reasons to not forget it. So <laughs> nine years later, I got married on the same date, but I'd already that was already etched in the brain. So brilliant, a special day. Um, so right at, at this moment, we're going to take a short break, and uh, we'll have some more memories after this. Okay, so we, we talked there just prior to the break in terms of Cardiff and, and some memorable moments in a positive slant. Um, any, any particular era or time um, which you would say would, was, a, was a low point in your war supporting career so far? <laughs> six days? Uh, probably the worst one was the 5-1. Yeah. 12th of February, it's my birthday. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I was at a, my friend who was a teacher... Um, got a good deal. It was a Sunday. Got a good deal on getting married on that day, so I didn't have to go. Right. Which is probably the only saving grace. So I remember we sat down to um, the father of the bride giving a very long speech. Oh. At the time, it was around kickoff time, and it was about three one by the time it finished. <laughs> so my, my dad was texting me. Um, although he's an Albion fan, he really like he's not. He's not really into the rivalry. Actually, it's Villa he dislikes. So um, he, I knew he wasn't winding me up. And then it went to 4-1. And then it went to 5-1. I turned my phone off and put it in the, the wife's handbag and just went, I'm not looking anymore. This is, this is something else. And that was, that, that was it. I think that whole period, because I was a season ticket holder for the Mick McCarthy years mm. up until the year we went down. So that team was special for me. Mm. And like, uh, he's probably not most people's favourite Wolves player, but I loved Carl Henry. Mm. And the fact that he was part of that bomb squad, him, Kevin Foley, and like some of the players that like again the the, the functional players that I really liked, the seven eights out of ten every week, and how they left the club was yeah that was that whole period from that five one on my birthday all the way through to. Yeah, even before the Saunders sort of stole back and stole back and debacle was the worst thing. And it was, the, I think it was, that was a strange, it was an end of an era, those guys leaving. And the way they did, like the Roger Johnson, Jamie O'Hara, that's fine, they can come and go. But those other guys, Doyler, Foley, Carl Henry and all those kind of guys that, they were like who I'd kind of grown up with. I was starting to become a, a man at this point. And like they were my team that I was going away whenever I could as well, as well as going to the home games. And like we'd we'd pick them all up. Mick had put this sort of band of misfits and players from Shrewsbury and Gillingham and all the other stuff. And it, that was, yeah, that's probably the low point is just how that ended because that was kind of where, like we talked about my stage in life change, got married. Going to games was few and far between at that point. So that was a sour note to leave it on, really. A sort of a proper avid going whenever I could all the time season ticket. And I think that was that was the hardest point. And that 5-1 on my birthday was just a, 
proper kick in the knackers. That was horrible. <laughs> it was. It, it, it was I, I, yeah, I, I went. I was there with my dad, and um, I left before the end, like like many did, because it was it was just tough to take. It was horrible yeah. to, to to sit through it and make a really interesting point there about the, the McCarthy era and those those players because it kind of felt so strange that it wasn't that distant of memory sort of prior to that where they were you know winning at Barnsley and on the pitch and so forth and mm-hmm. you know we were seeing the debuts of Keogh and Edwards and, uh, Edward perhaps not a good example because he stood the course for, for fantastic yeah. reasons but the, the, the players you referenced there Foley player of the season to mm-hmm. on squad you know um, and, and how football can change and I don't know about you but you know when, when we talk about the current and how good it is and it still feels very comfortable to talk about it to think that it's not going to go tomorrow but you know Nuno talks about being humble and sometimes I take that on board because I know how quick this game can change as well yeah yeah that that was um it was just it was just how unceremonious I think it was mm. because these like you say we you know the derby game everyone's on the pitch you know um but I you know, I remember being in the south bank and people hating Kai Henry passing sideways and I remember having arguments with people like, well, what is he supposed to do because that team was set up to not lose. It's mm. like you said, we can we can talk like Nuno basically is a defensive tactician, but because he has those players at his disposal, what's the difference with McCarthy? You know, for me, obviously he's nowhere near Nuno's level, but for that job, that was exactly what we needed. You know, if everyone when we when he took us over when he took over. We were nowhere. We were absolutely nowhere near the next season or the season after being close to the, you know, the season after we were close to the playoffs and the season after we made it. It just, it didn't fit. And just, yeah, the unceremonious way that sort of these blokes that have done like four or five seasons of proper hard work and giving everything, it felt like a horrible way for it to end. It was kind of a really bad breakup. And I think that's probably the, it was messy. It's it was a good analogy, and I think yeah, I think we call Henry. I'm not going to be hypocritical because there were times where I, I criticised him, um, mm-hmm. but but again, I think it's the benefit of hindsight when when you look back and you think of the job that he did, and I think there was a it was a style culture issue, wasn't it, with Henry? I think you know, yeah. I, I I was in the ground many times where we were looking to push on and it's, it seemed as if it, it stifled play, but then you cut it a little bit further forward and you even went to the cell back and era and then Nuno, as you, as you reference in the current day, if you have players like that now who keep the ball and play possession, and we don't always play the most pretty stuff, but we're afforded the fact that we've got yeah. players that, you know, are far, are far greater. So in that time and in that context, when I look back, I think actually I was probably a bit critical because, it worked within what he had and, and Henry yeah. didn't have the benefit of the players that he, he would love to have played alongside that are currently in the shirt now. Um. Yeah, I th- I th- that's the thing for me. I think, again, probably the football hipster in me, I think because people didn't like him, I instantly started to try and like him. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah, I just, I just, I always saw him as functional and I think that was the whole point of mixed teams, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, if you remember that nil-nil against Stoke when people, we were like playing for throw-ins. Yes. They were playing for Delap. Yeah. Ella Kobe, who couldn't throw it as far, but for some reason we thought he could. And we'd play into the corner like rugby. I, it, it, you, 
if you didn't support either one of those teams, you wouldn't have watched it. It was definitely last time match of the day. But like that's what we did. That's what we did in that era. In that first season, I think we were lulled into a full sense of security when we kind of finished 12th, 13th, whatever it was. And we didn't push on. We didn't sort of make the most. And Mick's obviously got his you know, detractors. And, and I did disagree. You know, players like Milias and stuff should have played more. But, uh, yeah, for me, I think Carl Henry and sort of Kevin Foley and those guys, I think, yeah, like I said, the bad breakup kind of feel that that has to it is probably one of the low points for me. And, and, and in terms of the, um, the current, um, you know, time sensitive in terms of this podcast from when we're recording it for, to, to when it goes out, but there'll only be a few weeks or grace period. But um, to talk in, in, in general terms, um, do you still like many of us have a sort of a pinch me moment with Nuno and, and how things are right now? Yeah, yeah, pretty much every week. Um, it still feels strange to me, I think, that we are actually good. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a it's a it's a mindset change that I think I'm I'm dealing with because it's just sort of a um, bloody hell we know what we're doing you know these aren't a band of misfits that we pull together these are like internationals and not Ireland and Wales and no disrespect to them but like these are people who've won stuff yeah you know that are played in Europe like when we got to Europe <sighs> mental. Didn't I never, ever, ever did I expect us to get there, let alone to do what we did. And yeah, so it is a pinching off. When we got Nuno, it was kind of a, okay, that's not an experiment. That's not Solback and that's a proven performer. And then when we obviously got Uncle George on board and the players he can bring in, yeah, Neves, that the game against, I can't remember when he scored that scream. I can't remember who he was now. Was it Hull or someone? Uh, well, there was there was there was hole away from home, but the he's, he's probably his, his famous one was Derby at home. Yeah. In, in yeah. Well, yeah. The, that, that, yeah. That was. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, when like you said, that's not Carl Henry, is it? That's yeah. a that that's a central midfielder that that pushes play on, that moves things on, and yeah, it's it is definitely pretty much every week. It's a pinching moment of not going into a game thinking I'll be happy with a draw, but we should be winning this, you know. And that, for me, after like 35 years of watching Wolves, is a massive mindset change that I think I'm still getting used to. And I, I think a lot of us are in that camp as well. And you've probably seen a lot of stuff online and, and people talk about, you know, we can't keep saying we're, you know, we're in League One not so long ago. And I, and I get that. And I really do because... That has no bearing on the fact that you don't beat Sheffield United because you know you talk you talk about the players that we've got, and and I have to stress this that we shouldn't apologise for that. You we shouldn't apologise that that's where we were. Well, that is where we were, but in the now and you know the way I see football, football is fluid. So you know how it is right now is how it is, and if you've got you know players who've won European Championships and domestic titles and a, you know then you should be competing, and we shouldn't. Be- you know, we shouldn't apologise. I think from a fan, it gives you a little bit of context now in a game, but that doesn't give you a reason why you shouldn't be going out and winning games with the players that we've got. Um, no, no, and no, I, th- I, th- I don't like you, right? I think I don't, I don't apologise for where we are personally, because I th- yeah, it's one of those ones where you show your stripes, don't you? Like I've been here when we played Gillingham, and I've been here when we played Grimsby, and all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't matter. Uh, for me, I think you can't help 
what era you've grown up in to watch the football and to pick your team. And, you know, Wolves, are, we've gone up and down with them in the 30-odd years, but I'm more than happy to ride this wave now. This is not something I'm going to apologise for. Um, and I don't think that there's much of a leg to stand on because I think if you still look at our books, we're balancing them properly. I don't think we're doing what Fulham did a couple of years ago, splashing cash on nobody's kind of thing. And just, we it's we have a plan and there is, the, the club has a plan. And, you know, it was horrible to leave Jota a couple of weeks ago. Probably my favourite player of this era. Just, I loved how he progressed, he progresses the football. And you don't see that very much of just someone who just runs almost in a straight line. And um, so, I, yeah, I don't apologise for where we are. I don't think we should do. And I think that, but there's still a soul to this club. Like um, Blake, the um, American lad that you had on a few weeks ago, mm. he wouldn't he wouldn't have the affinity he has to this club if we didn't have the heart yeah. that, that we can hold on to, that we have. You know, this isn't a carbon copy of a, an American franchise. This isn't us sort of throwing cash at stuff. There's a there's a process to it, and there's a soul to our club that I think we should be proud of. And we look different. It's a different kit. Our stadium's different. The setup's completely different. You know, growing up, we had players that actually came through and did stuff. Murray, Lescott, Robbie Keane. You know, don't get me started on us selling him to Coventry for next to nothing. <laughs> so we we had like a We've always had in sort of my lifetime that kind of heart. We had bully. You know, not many clubs can say they've got someone like that, especially in this era, in like the 80s, 90s, 2000s. They, his records are kind of like pre-war and post-war, like Jimmy Greaves type numbers, aren't they? But he did it in recent history. And I, I don't think that should detract from where we are now because I think we can be equally proud of both. Honestly, I think that's wonderfully put ahead, and I was—I'm kind of getting goosebumps because yeah. you know, I, I, yeah, it—it it, it makes me emotional even talking about it. And you, you've you put it so so well there, and I think, yeah, if people are listening to this, um, we we've had Blake on, uh, he's an American guy from from California, at reference, and he's one of many who has not bought into is probably the wrong word, but has kind of found a respect for this club and and he knows the fabric of the club and he's become the fabric as well and I think part of that is the fact that we are have got a unique story and we have got an identity as, as Ed was um, so wonderfully put in there that people are drawn to this club and it, you know be it if you're, you're, you're local or you're not and be whatever era you're in, if you're coming on board now, or if you've been with this club for, for, for many years, there, there is something about this club, and that's why, you know, I love doing this because um, I think we have got a unique story to tell, and I think that those fans, um, you know, that I'm a part of and, and we've had on have, have shown that, and I think, yeah, this, this is an, a, a fantastic club, and we shouldn't be afraid to to shout that, and I think what's great, and um, I don't think it's it, it probably isn't open at the moment, but um, what I would recommend people to do is to, to go to the Walls Museum, for example, um, if you haven't been, when obviously it's open, because I, I suspect in these times it may not be, but I'm sure there'll be time to come where we can, and that is an amazing place you can spend your time, because you learn so much about this football club, so if you've only perhaps come on board with this club in the last few years, 
first of all, you're welcome. You, you know, we'll welcome you and find out it's about this club because, as Ed was saying there, each part and each era of this football club plays its own significant part. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it makes a hell of a movie, doesn't it? You know? It does. I think... Not, I can't imagine there's many clubs that have players that still have an affinity to it, even if they've not been here long. Like Chris Lumo, what, two seasons and one of those he didn't play, he's still doing things with his club because it, it means something to them. And I think if, if, I think if Wolves fans, if we love you, you'll know about it. And I think it works the other way sometimes as well, oh, yeah. just to give it some balance. But yeah, if you, I think when you look down the years of the people that we've had for a couple of seasons, it still means something to them that they played for Wolves because it's still part of the fabric of, of football. You know, people know who we are because we are different because we've been through so many ups and downs and not like yo-yoing. We've gone like down, down more than a few times and people like a, a plucky underdog don't know, but I don't think we're an underdog. I just think we're ones that are, yeah, we're, we're ne- we, you know, God willing, we're going nowhere. And that's kind of a club that you can hang your hat on, I think. And I think that, that's something that we're, we need to probably be proud of a bit more, I think. We don't need to apologise for for going down and being the butter some jokes and then being the butter jokes when we're doing well either, you know. No, absolutely. And, and um, you know, it's come through on, on the episode so far um, and, and you mentioned it in, in, in the last sort of passage there, but... What it means to you, Ed? What What does it mean to you um, if you can't sum it up? Um, being part of the pack, what does What does that mean to you? Yeah, for me, for me, I think there's sort of um, yeah, it means probably far too much than it probably should do. Like my wife has no interest in football, mm-hmm. and I think if you try and explain football to someone that doesn't like it, it makes no sense, does it? Watching twenty two blokes chase around yeah. in the back of it, all that kind, all those kind of stuff. But it means loads. It means so, so much. And football in general, sport in general, means a lot to me. But Wolves is just, it's like being part of a family. You know, I've shared hooks with blokes I'm never going to meet ever again. I remember, I, I can't watch penalties. The, the Villa game, when Ebanks Blake scored a penalty in the Premier League, I walked into the, the gantry or the tunnel part with this other bloke. We waited for the cheer. We gave each other a hug and we walked off. I've never seen him before. never seen him since. <laughs> you, don't get, you don't get that in probably any other walk of life. And yeah, I think after sort of, um, yeah, my faith, my family, and then it's football. I think it's the three Fs for me. I think that's, that's how serious it is for me. And I think that's how much it, it means to me. It's sort of a fabric of, of who I am. It's, it's in my family and it was passed down to me, but I think it's, it's more than that because I don't think it's something that, yeah, that you just sort of do half-heartedly if you're doing it properly for me. No, brilliant. And I think that's, you know, a perfect way um, to close. Ed, thank you so much for, for sharing your story. Um, it's kindly um, contributed to the fancast and hopefully continues to do so with some great articles, uh, which will be on our website. We've got a lot of stuff going on, on with the fancast at the moment. We've got this series, as I've mentioned, sort of in the introduction. Um, we have our regular podcast, which we're, we're looking to do sort of post-match now to give you that instant reaction. Uh, we've recently launched a YouTube channel, of which you may be 
watching ourselves here. Apologies on the lighting. We can't afford one of those Instagram sort of, yeah, blogger things. <laughs> and I'm working on my backdrop at the moment, which is very bland. You've got some flowers. And yeah, <laughs> there's, some flowers. there's some twigs. There's some twigs which apparently make the room look nicer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, so, yeah, we've got lots of different content on lots of different platforms. Uh, but, um, yeah, from, from both of us, thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. renting furniture with feather looks like pieces that fit your style and your space and cost less than your monthly phone bill oh and did we mention delivery and assembly included feather start renting at liftfeather.com attention shoppers we now have taste in the bread aisle dave's killer bread that's right an organic bread that's no longer a sedative for your taste buds dave's killer bread is on a mission to make the most of the loaf to rid the world of gmos high fructose corn syrup and artificial ingredients and plant the seeds of good in all that they bake killer taste killer texture and always organic dave's killer bread bread amplified